Uh, my name is Sherry Dingman, and I'm with Fang Protective Services. Fang Protective Services is a consulting service for faith-based groups and medical mission teams. Um, Adam and I are here today to talk to you about cybersecurity. If you were looking for a uh, course on suturing with dental floss, this isn't it. Okay? Talks are supposed to have three points, and our first point is cyberspace and risk. So what is cyberspace? Um, the term was actually coined in a novel, and if you memorize this paragraph, you can win a game show sometime if you're ever in that taxi in New York City, and they say, what's cyberspace? You can quote this. Um, most of us tend to think of cyberspace this way. We have a way over-simplistic idea of what cyberspace is. I call you on my phone, and it's like this direct connection between these two phones, and we don't think about what happens in between. It's just magic. But what happens in between is there actual physical cables that run under the ocean and through big computers that route traffic around. Um, and it looks something like this map. Or you can think of it conceptually like a subway map. There are different um, routes on subways. I don't know if you've ever used the DC subways. But they have, they have points where they come together and you get off of one subway on another subway. That's kind of how the internet works globally. Here in the United States, it's a very common to hear people say they're not worried about surveillance. Um, even after Edward Snowden's revelations that were being surveilled, because they say they have nothing to hide. Um, the building on the right over there, by the way, is where the NSA listens to the global Internet traffic in New York City. Next slide. We do, in fact, have something to hide and be concerned about, and that would be China because China has announced that it is interested in controlling cyberspace. It wants to control the content, um, and it, it's made it very public that that's what it intends to do. Um, and the corporations are complying. Apple removed a very popular Bible app when China asked them to, because it's illegal in China um, to host illegal religious texts. Um, and President Xi's He's seeking a third term, so this is just going to continue to go on. Um, China's Belt Road Initiative is part of its grand strategy to control the infrastructure of the world by offering to forgive foreign debts and giving cheap free interest loans. It's constructing projects in many countries around the world. It's gotten many participants. Free money's pretty a um, pretty good way to get people to buy into things. What exactly China is building is a 5G network for high-speed Internet is part of what they're building. If you consider the nations where the government's already hostile to Christianity um, and the nations where China's building a 5G network, um, these will be places where cybersecurity is important. And it leaves you, these countries are places that you probably don't have to worry about cybersecurity. Um, these countries, you just have to worry about them hacking your data to sell you something. Okay. Um, next. Um, here's so a couple of facts to give you some idea of what you need to be worried about. Um, China has shut down video conferences that were running on Zoom in the United States because they didn't like the content. An NGO based here in the United States was running a memorial for Tiananmen Square, and Zoom had it shut down. It was, a, it was an American NGO running a meeting in the United States, and China had it shut down. How is that possible? The server computers for Zoom are in China. 
Now you got to ask yourself, how did you, how did they know this meeting was going on? Um, that's a good question to ask yourself. Um, a British national received a message from the Foreign Intelligence Office in the UK telling him he needed to stay out of South Africa because South Africa has extradition agreements with China and the journalist had written something they didn't like when he was in Hong Kong and they were going to have him extradited to stand trial. That's a little frightening. Okay. Um, China's been working on this stuff for a while. In 2017, the head of the World Health Organization entered a memorandum of understanding with China for the Health Silk Road Initiative, which is an add-on to their Silk Road Initiative. China wants to be a leader in world health in addition to its um, just regular global leadership. Um, Part of that includes, and this one's a little scary, um, surveillance to collect genetic data from around the world. Um, The United States government's pretty concerned about them collecting everybody's genetic data. Now, as to why they're doing this, maybe they're doing it to get an advantage in biotech stuff, but what they're using it for in China is it enables them to, if you decide to be a dissident and they can't punish you for being a dissident, they can go after your relatives because they can figure out who they are from your genetic data. Those are all reasons for cybersecurity. For those of you already signed up for Ancestry.com, they probably already have your data. But this brings me to my second point. Um, Now maybe I got your attention, so you think cybersecurity is important. Um, So let's talk about cybersecurity. If you carry a smartphone, one of these devices, um, you are carrying a 24-7 tracking device. Um, It is capable, it is pinging your location at all times. As you're sitting there, it's talking to all the other smartphones in the room. They're they're chattering back and forth to each other about your location, and it pings Wi-Fi routers that have all been mapped. This is a website. You can go look this website up. You can see all the Wi-Fi routers in the world have been mapped. Dead center in the middle of this map is Adam's house. Um, His Wi-Fi router doesn't show up on here because he's a cybersecurity expert, but it doesn't matter because when he's at home, his phone is pinging his neighbor's Wi-Fi routers. All those little purple things are people's Wi-Fi addresses. Um, The entire world, if you back up on this, like you see purple. So your phone is sending Google information about where you're located, so it can sell you advertising. Um, Governments can use this to find out where you are. Okay, so literally your phone always knows where you are. And because you have a home Wi-Fi router, it knows where you live. Okay, so everybody's address is known. Um, That's kind of a problem. The other thing that smartphones do is even if you think the phone is turned off, the phone can be turned on to listen to you. And you can't take the battery out of your phone. This is a big problem. It can be used as an eavesdropping device. Okay? So here are a few things that you can do if you're interested in more of these. Um, you can talk to us some more later, or you can come to our cybersecurity camp. Um, you can remove the Android operating system that came with your phone, which is doing all this reporting, and you can replace it with another Android system that doesn't do the tracking. That's called de-Googling your phone. That has a learning curve. 
I had a couple IT guys worked on that for two days to pull it off. Now, they're a little paranoid. They had to set up a special virtual machine to do it on because they were afraid of getting their computers infected and things like that. Um, but if it takes two computer geniuses two days to do it, it's got a learning curve. Okay? You can buy a de-Googled phone off of eBay, and they cost what smartphones cost. They're not cheap. Um, or you can buy a phone like a little track phone. I like this solution um, for less than 20 bucks. Um, it runs on 4G network. And the nice thing about it is you can take the battery out of the phone. So if you want the phone to really be off, once you take the battery off and it's got no juice, it's not sending anybody messages anywhere. So you could take it to a church meeting somewhere and not be thinking somebody was going to turn it back on. Um, it, but it's not very smart. It doesn't do anything but, like, you can talk on it. And you can take a few simple pictures with it. Okay. Um, you could um, use your tablet or your computer for communication because that's more secure. You can plug a phone into a computer. Even a smartphone can be plugged into a computer with a special adapter so that it's not operating as a radio. That's when phones are most insecure because you don't have any legal right to privacy when you're talking on a radio, according to the United States Supreme Court. Um, or you could just stop using a cell phone altogether. Now, I know that, that some of you are old like me, and you remember when phones were actually physically attached to the wall. And if you wanted to use a phone, you stood by the wall. You didn't drive around with it. Okay? Um, now, um, unless you're somebody really important, nobody's probably going to try and brute force attack your password. This password, by the way, 12345, was the most common password. The, the problem with passwords is the human brain. A password that's really secure is one you can't remember. And as soon as you can't remember it, you write it down on a little sticky note and stick it somewhere, it's not secure anymore. Okay? Um, so that's the problem with passwords. But passwords end up for sale on the dark web. And they end up for sale because some corporation got hacked and your passwords got stolen and they're selling them on the dark web for maybe $25, okay? Um, so we can talk about passwords, but basically the thing about passwords is your bank should have a really secure password for your account and maybe your email. You don't have to worry so much about your Netflix account. If somebody watches Netflix on your account, eh, okay? Um, now, life in cyberspace, how do you make it more secure? Okay, um, These are some of the things you can do. But one of the things you need to do is figure out how what your risk profile is. How dangerous is where you are? What are your risks? What are you protecting yourself against? And then you plan accordingly. Um, we're going to host a whole camp over Memorial Day weekend up in the Catskills. You can come for the price of your room and your food. And you, we'll get into the awesome, gruesome details. Uh, but here are some highlights of things you can do. You can get a program that's called a password manager. And it'll make up fancy, long, encrypted passwords for you that you don't have to remember. My problem with password managers is they're in the cloud, and so somebody can hack the password manager. Um, unless you're really a computer geek, then you can have the password manager on your computer. Um, that's one of the things you could do. You could get a little book and write them all down, give it to your wife, and she can keep track of your passwords for you, um, as long as she keeps the book someplace safe. Okay. 
and remembers to change the passwords when you do, okay? Um, you can get a virtual private network to log in through, and that protects some of what you're doing on the Internet. It's not so obvious that somebody from your address went to these places. If you're going to do that, you need to take some other steps or you were wasting your time, because then if you go to these other places and put in all your personal information, there was no point using the private network to get to the place. Okay? Um, you should fix your online persona. If you're trying to protect yourself, then you need to watch what kind of data and your pictures and things that are out there in cyberspace. Um, set privacy settings, things like that. Those are things that you need to do. Um, if you're in some place really dangerous, you probably need to use Tails, which is an operating system where you can boot a computer from a flash drive that leaves no record of your activity because it uses Tor. Tor is the onion router. That's what Tor stands for. It was built by the Navy uh, to secure communication. It's wonderful. The only problem with Tor right now for you to use, like if you're in China or someplace, is that a lot of places where you get on to Tor, the addresses are publicly known, and China watches those. So if you're in one of those kind of places, you need your own access point to the Tor router. We can talk about that. Um, the two, really, maybe three things that are terribly important for you to do. Okay, Proof of life. I'm going to assume everybody in this room knows what proof of life is. You need to store your proof of life data offline. So it can't be hacked, and so somebody can't guess it from your social media accounts. So if somebody kidnaps Adam, and I want to know if they really have Adam, I say, what's his dog's name? And the kidnapper goes to Adam and asks him what his dog's name is. If I get the right answer back, I know they've got Adam. Or else, if he didn't, if he didn't put it up on his social media accounts. Okay? That's important. Do that, like, right away. Um, the other thing you should do is you should not be using text messaging on your phone for anything important because the company that supports all the text messaging companies in the United States got hacked a few years ago, and they have everybody's text messages, all the text messages from all the phone companies. So you need to use Signals or Telegram or something to secure your, It's encrypted. Secure your text messages. And the last thing is, and we can get into this other epic camp, you're going to have to memorize an IP address. Because when they close the Internet down in countries like Ethiopia, you could still use the Internet if you just knew an IP address to send your computer to. Those are those long strings of numbers nobody memorizes. Okay. Um, this is my third point um, about this stuff, is you might need to get help. If you're too busy to learn this for yourself, and it's a learning curve, people go to college for years to learn this stuff. If you don't have time to learn it yourself and you can't find a volunteer who will help you with it, you might have to get some professional help. Um, it failed to do so can put people at real risk. If you're working in some communities, the local citizens, you could be deported, but the local citizens can go to jail or worse for being associated with you. Um, so it's time to start taking it serious. And it really is time to start taking it serious now where we still have time to be proactive about it okay? before China owns the whole Internet. Um, so here's my last point. Um, secure communications. Okay? 
Um, there are some things you can do that are pretty low-tech if you learn how to do them. You can hide messages in a Word document using the white. White is an ink color. You have to do some other settings where people can read that in, up in the view text kind of stuff. So you don't have to know how to do that. You can look it up and figure that out. And the people you're sending the document to always have to know how to look for it. You could do that as a form of secure communication. Um, next slide, please. The other thing you can do is this is like old school. You can get two copies of the same book, one here, one with you in the field, and then when you want to send somebody secure communications, you laboriously send them a code, page number, sentence number, word number to a word. And you do that to so you get your whole message, and you just send a string of numbers. When you, when you send code like that, the authorities are probably going to figure out it's a coded message. But they can't read it. They don't know what it is. Okay. Um, or you can use software to hide messages, which is what Adam is going to show you how to do. But somebody asked me an important question. They asked me if these programs were legal. Um, and that's an interesting question. So I'm going to ask you a question. Are you going to some place where it's legal to preach the gospel or illegal to preach the gospel? Well, we're talking about things that are legal or illegal. Okay? Now I'm going to, we're going to take a pause for technical changeovers. Now it's going to come talk. All right. Good morning. Uh, my name is Adam DeStefano. I work in the public sector um, in cybersecurity. Uh, I'm an enterprise security expert. Um, and I'm here today to talk a little bit about steganography. Um, so uh, the U.S. government, specifically the DOD, sorry about that, guys. Specifically, the DOD uh, has defined covert communication as any communication channel that can be exploited by a process to transfer information that violates a system security policy. Uh, this was defined back in the 1980s, long before the creation of smartphones or ubiquitous computing. Uh, covert communications is not a new phenomenon by any stretch of the imagination. Uh, both the Persians and the Spartans utilized the practice by shaving heads of messengers and writing secret messages on their scalps. And then they would wait for the hair to grow back and then send them off to where they needed to go. Uh, this way the message was hidden. So definitely not anything new. It's driving me nuts here. It's going back in the pocket. Sorry about that. Uh, in fact, uh, the Persians used it when they received news that the Greeks were about, uh, when they decided to invade Greece, um, decided to get the word out by, uh, the word by pending the invasion of to Sparta. Since the discovery meant such, it was certain death if they got caught, right? I'm losing my spot here. Oh, yes. So since invading Sparta was definitely certain death, they decided to hide the message on a uh, pallet of wax, on a tablet of wax. So they scraped the wax off of each of the wooden folding tablets and carved the warning message into the wood. And then they covered the wood with a fresh coat of wax, and the tablet was passed by the sentries without raising any suspicion and was delivered to by the Greeks. Caesar also used 
what's called now known as the Caesar cipher to protect messages of military significance by shifting the letters of the alphabet to make up words by three spaces. So A became D and so on. Um, This wheel here is actually what was used to decode the message that Caesar was using at the time. And uh, Caesar was not the first military commander to take advantage of ciphers. The first cipher device appears to have been employed by the ancient Greeks around 400 BC for secret communications between military commanders. The key used by the Greeks consisted of a tapered baton wrapped around, spirally wrapped around a piece of parchment which had the inscribed message on it. Today we have many different kinds of ciphers. Um, these are the ways that these are some of the ciphers out here that paved the way for modern day encryption, and these are just a few that are used today. I don't know if anybody's ever seen something like this before. This is what's called ciphertext. So this message basically says, "Welcome to the GMHC 2021 conference." That's all it says. It's just encrypted. In today's world, encryption is accomplished by two means. The first is known as symmetric key cryptography. The idea here is that we use the key to both encrypt and decrypt a message. The simplest way to think about this is you go to Home Depot and you buy a lock, and it has a deadbolt and a doorknob. It's the same key to unlock both on both sides, right? Same exact key. So you would use the key to create the encryption, and then you would use that same key to decrypt it. Some of the most common use cases for this type of encryption is encrypting credit card information or personally identifiable information that are required for transactions. Um, Another use case is encrypting data of devices uh, data stored on devices. Uh, So we're going to actually talk about that in a second um, as part of our example, but very straightforward. With asymmetric cryptography, uh, this is where you use two keys, and this is essentially used when security is priority over speed and when the identification verification is required. Um, Symmetric key cryptography doesn't really care who you are. Um, It just wants to make sure that you have the key. Uh, Asymmetric cryptography actually wants to validate that you're the intended sender and the intended recipient, so it does care who you are. Um, And in this case, we can go back to the previous example. Uh, There's a key to lock both the door and the the deadbolt, but they're two different keys. So you have to have both in order to actually open the door. Um, Use cases for this are like digital signatures, uh, which are used in cryptography to confirm the identity of someone to sign a document and blockchain technology. Um, Anybody ever heard of cryptocurrency, Bitcoin, all that good stuff? That's using asymmetric cryptography. Um, that's the mechanism that's used for blockchain that supports cryptocurrency. So here's a very early example, not really early, but 1945 early uh, example of cryptography um, using steganography. So this was an image that was drawn using Morse code that's highlighted here where the long blades of grass are the long and the short are the short using Morse code. Um, essentially, this was a message that was used... Um, to commemorate the visiting of a commanding officer. Uh, Steganography is the practice of hiding a secret message in something that is not secret. There's an old saying that states, if you want to hide a treasure, hide it in plain sight so nobody will see it. Uh, The drawing here was done by a group of government censors who were honoring a visit from their commander, Colonel Harold R. Shaw. 
The hidden message here in Morse code states compliments of CPSA MA to our Chief Colonel Harold R. Shaw on his visit to San Antonio, May 11, 1945. Today we use digital images. So again, a man and his dog. That's my dog, Bear. So proof of life, by the way, as Sherry mentioned. That's my dog's name. So if anybody gets a call, that's Bear. Um, so we can use digital images to help us accomplish the same objective. Digital images are created by software contained in digital cameras, scanners, and graphic software. These pictures are made up of tiny squares known as pixels. You see the pixels right underneath. So that's actually zoomed in onto my dog. Um, really, really close. I broke it down into the pixel so you guys can see how that image is made up. So each one of those squares that you see is a pixel. And it's represented by bits. Okay, 255 is the uh, bit code for black. So um, basically what happens here is steganography works by exploiting human weakness. In the case of image steganography, like we see here, the human eye can only register 100 different color shades. Therefore, most researchers ballpark the number of colors that we can distinguish to be around a million, roughly. Um, because each one of these pixels contain 8 bits of red, 8 bits of green, and 8 bits of blue put together make up the entire image you see below here. Um, it's roughly estimated that um, about 16.7 million varieties of color using the, eight, the RGB uh, bits here, which is a lot more than the million we could see with our human eye, which makes steganography so easy to kind of uh, fool what, what it is we're seeing and what we're looking at makes it very easy to hide that data in plain sight. So how exactly does it work? So essentially we take an image known as a cover image, and that's the picture we're going to use to hide the intended message or data you're seeking to hide using a stego encoder. Once the message has been hidden within the image, requires a password or that cryptographic key that we just discussed, the symmetric key that opens both the doorknob and the deadbolt, and then once the key has been added, it will output a new image called the Stego object. This image can now be sent using an array of communication channels to the intended recipient. Once the re recipient has received the Stego object, they will need to use that cryptographic key, that, again, same key, right, to decode that message and extract the message that was sent. So I'm going to do a quick example of how this works. This was an image I took, a picture I took on my smartphone right before I left for the trip. This is a church in my neighborhood. Okay, you can see blue sky, beautiful, used on my iPhone. Took the picture, great. Here's a quick video of how this actually worked from my smartphone. So I'm actually typing a message in the application itself. This is an application on my smartphone. Now again, it really doesn't matter what the message is. Right? In this use case, you may go into a country where it's a little hostile, where you can't bring Bibles. This is a perfect use case where you would be able to sneak a Bible into the country. Find a PDF online, you could use that, you can, and any text you want. Um, in this use case, I've been kidnapped. And now I'm presenting at the Global Medical Health Conference, right? Um, so this is my way of creating the message. I'm going to then encrypt the message, which you'll see momentarily. I'm telling you, I'm putting background music on this next time. A little Jeopardy. OK. 
Okay, so basically it's saying that I'm going to use that carrier image, the one I showed you in the screen before. And this entire message is going to be hidden within the image. Now I'm going to click that encrypt button. You'll see underneath, again, there's that cipher text we just saw. I'm going to pick my carrier image from my image library, which you'll see is named image whatever that number is. That's the image I want. I'm going to continue. I'm going to rename the image. Now, obviously, we don't want to rename it to hidden text. I did this for, right, hidden text. Don't do that. <laughs> and it's going to output a new image. So you'll see now two images are in that folder. This is the original, and this is the one containing the hidden message. Original, hidden message. Original, hidden message. Now I'm going to go back into the program. I'm going to clean everything out so you see we're dealing with a fresh, clean palette. I'm going to now import that image that I just did. You'll see it's named hidden text and it extracts that message. Okay. Now what's really interesting about that is there was the Stego image. This was the output. This was the picture that contained the hidden message. This is side by side. Right? I mean, it's very... You can't really tell the difference. Now obviously... The one of the ways you'd be able to determine whether or not this contained hidden image is if you had both the carrier file and the image containing the hidden message where you could do statistical analysis between the two images. So it's recommended get rid of the carrier file after you've done this. So the only image in your phone contains that secret message. So when you're going into these countries, you would want to have this already ready to go in the event something happened, right? This way all you'd have to do is send the message, a text message. You could also upload it to a WordPress self-hosted website. Um, that If that image comes on, guess what? Your contact person here in the States knows something happened and knows to start executing your crisis plan, whatever that may be. So it's very, very powerful. Now, this doesn't have to be, hey, I've been kidnapped. This could be, like I said, hostile states don't want you to bring Bibles in. This would be a great way to hide Bibles bring a Bible into a country that may not necessarily want you to do so. Um, this is image steganography. There's other mediums you can use. Um, I did a proof of concept with a Pandora song where I was able to use the Slack space in the beginning of uh, the file itself, upload it to Pandora, and then download it from Pandora and extract that message as well. Um, this is a very effective mechanism for covert communications where, again, if you're trying to bring data into a country like China, who then, as soon as you get off the plane, clones your phone and takes everything that's on your phone, um, this is a way to get data in without it being recognized or putting yourself in jeopardy. Now, caveat to this is you would need the program that you used to encrypt this in order to extract that data. So another mechanism to do that would be using a de-Googled phone where then you could sideload with an SD card to be able to extract that information. Okay. Any questions?
What do you mean? I guess you just need the app to be like receive a message from the image. No, you would need the app to extract it. We were told you have to repeat your question. Oh, sorry. One more time. The question was, can you see the message in the image? And the answer is no, you cannot, because it's encrypted in those pixels where where there was a pixel that had some RGB color code. It's changed to whatever the geek equivalent so I'll actually break that down yeah. scientifically for you, right? So these are all the bits of the dog right, that I zoomed really in close, okay? Black is 255, so it has, you know, 8 bits, 8 bits, 8 bits, making up 255 bits total per pixel. So each color is represented by... 255 for black, maybe 254 for a different shade of black. So what it actually does is it changes the least significant bit across the entire image. So it may turn a zero into a one. Very hard to see if you're doing that across millions of pixels within the image, right? So if you look again side by side, this was the file that was used, this was the image that was taken to hide the text. This was the output afterwards. Side by side. Now, if you look really, really close, you may see this is a little sharper blue than that one. But it's really indistinguishable, right? The only way you'd be able to tell that this was altered or contains data is if you had this original file to do statistical analysis across the two, which is why it's recommended that once you have this file that contains it, get rid of this image. Now, this is the only picture in your library. You open up my phone and start scrolling through my, my images, Looks like a picture of a church. You'd have to know that this was the image containing the data, but you took the picture but and you put the message. message. Right. Yeah, so even if they were able to extract it, the message itself is also encrypted that you wouldn't be able to extract without that key. Yeah. Well, the only way they would be able to do that is they would have to know that this was the original picture and compare the... So think of every file that has a fingerprint, right? It's called a hash. So this file itself, the carrier file, that was not altered containing data, may have a hash of 1, 2, 3. Obviously a lot longer, but just for... This one may have one of 4, 5, and 6. If they compare the two, yes, they'd be able to tell this is different than this image. But if this is the only image on your phone... They would not be, there's no way to compare it without having the original to compare it to. And then it becomes very hard because you have to use statistical analysis to be able to kind of go through and decipher, you know, what was actually happening. You have to use the same program that I used to encrypt it in order to decrypt it. The message itself is encrypted and you'd have to have the key. But, but knowing there's a difference just means they knew there was a difference. They wouldn't know what the difference was. Correct. Well, That's where you go in with it side-loaded. If, if yeah, and by the way, that app could also be hidden within another image in order right. to get it in. You can hide anything you want to bring it in. It's not just text, right? You could hide a PDF for the Bible. You could hide a video within a video. You could hide, I mean, there's so much. But then you need another app. <laughs> 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 it depends on how deep you want to go. 
you want to go. If you, yeah. if you just want to, if you wanted to just make it easy, you might pre-hide a group of messages for different purposes and just send that one when you needed to. And remember, this is only image too, right? You can do it with video. You can do it with audio. You can do it. The new uh, method that attackers are using, like malicious people are using, is uh, voice over uh, IP protocol and hiding it within the header information of that file. And what happens is it's getting sent right over the wire that looks like innocuous voice over IP traffic. Uh, the attackers on the other side are then extracting that packet and are able to then take that message out of that packet. I like this particular program because it runs on everything. It runs on Windows, it runs on Apple, it runs on Androids, it runs on Macs. And so... Desktop, phone. Two questions really quick. What's the app called? This one was Paranoia. It's from Paranoia. (laughs) It's from a website called Paranoia. Um, Second is um, can you send that file to someone else and then they can... Yes. The the idea is then to take this image containing the message, use whether it's telegram or what is it, telegraph, telegram? Signal. Signal, one of those. Send it as a text message to that point of contact that knows if I receive this image from you, it contains information. These are things like fire drills, right? You'd want to drill this ahead of time. This way your point of contact over here knows. But there are some ways you cannot send the message. You cannot send it through Facebook because Facebook takes your mess, takes your images and changes them. It has an algorithm and it compresses them and changes them and it would script them out. YouTube does not, by the way. I, at least it didn't last time I tested. So I deployed a, a message hidden within a video, uploaded it to YouTube, and was able to download it, yeah. and it still contained the message. Update emails on a, or update email. Can you send it like over email? You could send it any way you want. You could send an email. Now, to Sherry's point, you wouldn't want to use social media because as you're posting it to Facebook, Facebook scrubs all the pictures that are going um, and creates its own proprietary file extension. So it's no longer like a JPEG. It's a Facebook JPEG. So anything that may have been hidden is wiped out. Yes. Uh, can you change information? Like if you use something like this for your passwords, can you, but you change your password and you want to update it, Okay, if you, the password, you have to have a password to use this program. At your end, and the user has to have a password. They have to know what password you used on to make this file. So they have to know that ahead of time. So if you change this, if if you're like in Afghanistan and you change a password, you have to have a way to tell them you change a password. So you better have the passwords arranged ahead of time. There, There are, like, kind of beyond this class, but there are um, agencies that have figured out whole systems of changing passwords. I understand they change the passwords for like the nuclear codes every day or something. But from some systematic way of doing it, and I don't have any idea what it is, but you could come up with that too. So a follow-up question with the Stego file. So say you're sending a message back to someone back home. They open up the file and it's on their phone and say it's like in their Apple phone No, because again, I mean, the only way you would have to, they'd have to know the message was in that image, right? The whole idea is covert communication. So the person I'm sending it to 
has to know to go in and extract the message that's now hidden within the image. Even if it goes to the cloud, it's an innocuous picture that's on your cloud. Unless somebody knows, hey, this is the image that contains that covert communication and then uses and has the key to be able to take it out. Like there, there's, It's security and depth, right? It's not just a matter of hiding the information in the image. It's we've hid the information in the image. The message itself is encrypted. And there's a cryptographic key in order to extract it. Not to mention, the person who's trying to extract it has to use the same application you used to encrypt it. So there's four layers of, of, of defense within that in order to be able to get that message. That's a lot of work to be able to extract that message. And again, the only way you know it's there is if you had the original file to compare it to. doesn't matter. This, this Stego file will contain that message as long as that Stego file is alive. You delete that Stego file, that, that picture, it's out of your library, it's like any other f- f- picture that goes. So it doesn't matter where that picture goes, unless it's going to Facebook, because Facebook will scrub it, right? But if it's local, local on your machine, local on your device, that message stays persistent. It's now part of the file. So this file now contains that hidden message for as long as the file persists. Option is use steganography to bring in the program itself. That, you, that would be the program, but right, but you could hide the program within an image. You, get you, get you extract it through decryption. But, but she's so saying you can't because you'd have to have, a, have to decrypt it. There's, there's ways to hide stuff to take it in. No, but you could hide the, the so all apps on Android phones use what's called APKs. An APK is an Android programming kit. I think that's what I don't know whatever it stands for. It's basically the the package that deploys the application to your phone, if you had that package, which most of these are open source tools you can get, and encrypted it into an image file, right, like a Sego file, you can then decrypt the image, extract the package, and then load it yeah, onto your phone. you have to have the, the app to decrypt it when you're in China. That's her problem. Uh, That's where you have to hide it on a SIM card if you're taking it in the country. It can be done, but you would take it in separate from your phone. Somebody asked a question about phones and the... Yeah, what's the best plan, like, you say, for a, a dumb phone plan? Best plan for a dumb phone plan in the United States? Yeah. It, it depends on where you, what part of the country you're in. Uh, CMDA, can you like Verizon or AT&T? Oh. What has the best cell phone tower service? I don't know. 
because we can't remember anything. We're not computers, right? I don't know what the IP address for Bank Protective Services is. I know the name of the website, but I don't know what those numbers are, what three, four, four, what, what, I don't know. But probably I should memorize it. Because if you have the numbers memorized, you can still find it when they shut the internet down if you can type the numbers in. And I think that we need to have some numbers memorized. Does everybody know what DNS is? So, so basically, you go to google.com, right? That's a DNS name, okay? But underneath that, it's like 8.8.8.8 or whatever that IP address is. To Sherry's point, it's a lot easier to remember a name than it is to remember those numbers. I remember my childhood phone number, but I, I just used this example last time. Guaranteed my kids couldn't call my cell phone. We're so used to Siri, call dad, right? I mean, but nobody remembers phone numbers anymore. So remember the IP address, you'd be able to still access that website without going through a domain name, so to speak. So if they you know, shut down the access to those servers, um, let's say you know, we have an encrypted email, do we just need to know like one IP address? Or like, to get into there, like, you know, we, we know the one to log in, but then do we need to know the next one? Or it's really just, you just got to get past the... Yeah, once you get to the, to the authentication IP, yeah. it, it takes care of it. Yeah. So, and you, you could probably write a few of those down yeah. and hide where you haven't written down at. Um, Use an image. <laughs> Full circle, see that? Okay. Um, but we don't. Even even numbers, important phone numbers. But, you know, there, there's some basic security stuff we don't do we probably should do. Like, you, I know you've been told to register with the State Department, Safe Travelers Program, so they know that you're in country, right? Everybody say, yes, I've heard this and I've done that. You know, when Egypt, like when the revolution fell apart, there were like 5,000 Americans showed up and the, the embassy didn't know we're in country. They weren't expecting them. They didn't have seats for them on airplanes because they didn't even know they were there. Okay? Um, so, but if you show, if you lose your passport, everything, you get mugged or robbed or kidnapped and you get away and you show up at the U.S. Embassy with no paperwork, first you got to get the national to believe you're an American citizen so they'll let any other thing. Uh, but you, most of you guys look to me like you'd be able to be persuasive on that one. But, um, hey, you need your passport back because you don't have your passport number memorized, do you? No. Probably some of you are young than this. You don't even have your social security numbers memorized. Okay? Um, you should probably work on road memorizing a few things, right? How many of you have your mom's telephone number memorized? I love that example. It's the one thing we all know is mom's telephone So as she's around, we're, we're good. She'll be locked out. But if, you, if you're using your brain instead of your auxiliary brain cell phone, that will help in some security situations. Right? And some stuff that you have stored on your cell phone, you might want to make a proton email that the only thing you store on it is really important stuff and the only time you log into it is when you need to access that. Like scanning your passport and the IP addresses you need and whatever, like the critical stuff that you only log into it 
when, when you need to recover that stuff. So after you've been mugged and dumped by the side of the road, you can get back your identity. That's actually an important point. Make sure you guys have an email address that is just to you, right? Like, it's not an email address that you share with anybody else, and it's like a break glass email address that has that information, obviously encrypted, um, has that information stored, whether it's your passport numbers, your driver's license numbers, you know, whatever it is, the IP address of the tour router are going to help you set up a camp. It's awesome. Um, right? Have that stuff encrypted in an in a Excel spreadsheet that's then in this email address that nobody else knows. Um, I have a dummy email address that every time I go into Best Buy, they're like, ah, oh, you want to join our loyalty program? Give me your email address. Save 10% that I show sure, here. I've never checked that email address in, in the 10 years I've had that email address. I don't even know if I'm at capacity. I'm sure I am with all the stores that have it. But, you know, it's tied to my social media. For why? I mean, go ahead. This is my dummy email address that is publicly facing. That, you know, when I need to give an email address to somebody and it's, you know, What's your email? Here it is. But I also have an email address that only I know that contains that information. This way, if I need access to it, it's there. You guys probably know this one. You can also have an email address that you have shared with your one contact person, who's your emergency security person, whoever that is. I hope you have that person. Um, you can send messages to that person without sending email by leaving drafts of email in that email. You can log into that email and you can draft an email that you're going to send and don't send it. Leave it in the email. And then they can log into the email and they can read the drafts. That, that's not foolproof, but it's a little more secure than sending it over the internet. So I'm super ignorant, but just wondering like programs like ProtonMail and Signal, is there confidence that those will continue to be secure? Is it just like they're pretty secure. I mean, there's when you're using any third-party resource, you know, there has to be a balance of no expectation of privacy with a limited expectation of privacy, right? So it's all about managing that risk reward. Like, you know, Proton Mail is based in, I believe, Switzerland, which is pretty good around data security, um, even though they just recently gave a whole bunch of IP addresses away. But, I was I heard chatter that ProtonMail is actually set up by the CIA to save themselves a lot of trouble. <laughs> Which you guys don't have to worry about that then, but um, I thought that was hilarious. But yeah, maybe they did. Um, so then it would be very secure. Um, the, the thing I like about ProtonMail is you can set up anybody's name in ProtonMail. And it's about the only way you can get a fake name email to use by a phone that's not under your real name. Well, we've tested that. That works. <laughs> yeah. The uh, proton mail, I, I forgot my password. I mean, my password and it deleted everything. So that's just one of the, the uh, caveat with proton mail is that if you forget your password, well, that, that's what's used to encrypt your mail. So if you forget your password, then you lost all that stuff you stored, so make sure that you remember your password. Okay, I'm going to, as a neuroscience person, I'm going to make a comment about passwords here. Quit making up passwords you can't remember because it doesn't make any difference, okay? Go ahead 
and use mommy as your password. Okay? If you can remember that. Okay? Or whatever your five-year-old calls you. Go ahead and use that as your ProTime email. Because nobody's trying to hack your ProTime email through a brute force attack. Okay? If, if somebody loses your data, they're going to sell it on the black web and you're going to get an email that your data's been sold on the black web. It, when you keep changing your email accounts and losing emails all the time, that's a really a, a hassle. Right? If it's, if it's something really important like a bank account, okay? Um, it's the, it's the cybersecurity guys that keep doing this to myself. My son-in-law put a password on my grandson's Chromebook and spy, right? He can't remember the password you put on a five-year-old's Chromebook. <laughs> Who's going to hack the five-year-old's Chromebook? You're not sorry. It doesn't matter. It's not it's like a national security issue, okay? I'm sorry about that, but you have to be able to remember the password. Now, because you guys are at a global mission conference, most of you have a few Bible verses memorized, I think. Use those as your passwords. No, the hackers aren't going to remember them. Real quick, just to add on that, the NIST has recently said, stop changing your password. Um, the, the old adage was, oh, every 90 days, rotate your password, do this, that. They're recommending don't do that anymore. Now, remember, that Proton email, it's you and your security person that have access to it. Nine times out of ten when those passwords are getting compromised is because that email address was associated with your Netflix who had a compromise, your LinkedIn account, your Facebook. One of those companies had a password leak that ended up on the dark web, and you're using that same password for everything, right? That's generally how those things are getting happened. I mean, one of the slides that, remember, hackers don't, um, they don't hack your password, they log in. Because somebody clicked the link on the phishing email, it looks like a legitimate sort. You log in, and all of a sudden it says, "Oh, cannot be user cannot be found." And then you think you fat fingered your password, and you, you go back, and all of a sudden you're in. No, what happened was it was a splash screen that popped up. You entered your credential information, it got sent to the hacker, who then you know redirected you to the right login page. So you know, use secure passwords that you can remember. A Bible verse, and get rid of the word passwords. Use passphrases. Right? Passphrases. I love cheeseburgers. I don't. I'm vegan, but, you know. That's a good one right there. Right. Uh, nobody would think that would be for me. I just got to change my passwords now, so, you know. <laughs> All right. Yes. Oh, sorry. So, um, at my church, I'm in charge of creating a bulletin insert each week um, that highlights a missionary family and mm. shares prayer requests and things like that. And recently the church decided to start using a bulletin app on their website, which has now created some concern because previously this was all just print, so we didn't worry about sharing people's names or um, you know various items in a prayer request. But now this is a concern. I mean, it's a point where we don't even use the word missionary anymore. Um, and it was my my concern because I, even though the app, you have to go onto our church website, download the app from their website. It's not something that's on their Facebook account. But you know, we do have some missionaries who serve in different countries. Um, how dogged are those countries about searching things out? I mean, should I still not put their name if I'm wanting to? What's the prayer request for them? It, 
I think that you should err on the idea on the side of security for people working in close countries because to protect them. Because the countries that don't want them there really don't want them there. Because, trust me, the only person that Xi Jinping is afraid of is Jesus Christ. And he really is afraid of it. And he really wants to root Christianity out of the world. So, countries that have that kind of attitude don't risk the people who are there. Um, Don't use their real names. Um, Make up Bible character names for them. Make up Fiction, yeah, make up fictional countries for them. Hollywood's made up enough of them. Where was it? Where the ladies are the warriors with the spears? Wonder Woman? No, it was an African country. Was he another warrior country? No, no. It was, it was a famous movie. It was not that long ago, you guys. But they make up African country names to sound like... Black man, Black man Wakanda. Yeah. Wakanda, yeah. The missionaries in Wakanda. Right? Um, and, and 80% of the parishioners will think you're in Wakanda. So if you're emailing that person, though, directly, I mean, we never, I will email somebody and I don't mention, I mean, you know, they have their own little code words when they send out letters. But there's a few times I don't hear back from them ever. Do you know? In they China, may never have gotten the email. That's what I'm wondering. Does China just delete something if it sees like it's coming from? You ever heard of the Great Firewall? No. Uh-huh. Wow. <laughs> nothing in, nothing out. That doesn't go through China's approval. Huh. Okay. Nothing. Nothing. Yeah. So we so we use just a regular Gmail account. We don't use you know mychurch.org to send emails to any of the global workers in, in those countries. And with regards to information for people, I'm, I'm trying to hold a line on we have a hardcover cover book that's got everybody's profile. And even in that book, I only use first names, never use last names. Because I know I was trying to find out information on other people serving in a closed country, and I was able to find just this little thing. You know, church have a hot love dinner, and then put the person's first and last name there, and it's email, and then boom. Do not underestimate the bad guys. It's like underestimating the um, Akai and the Shahal, the guy who runs it as a PhD in math. It's like, don't underestimate them. They can do cyber stuff. So yeah, they can, they can web crawl and scrape and find stuff. So yeah. Thank you to our speaker. This concludes our session. Thank you. Today, don't forget to drop the breakout session survey. They're on both doors. <laughs>